Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com.au. So reading from Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. First was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human being was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up, which came up among them and three of the first horns were were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair, the hair of his head was as white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him, and thousand times, oh, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up. 
before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that, that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the most holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers who worship will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself." Father, we do thank you for uh, your word and that you speak to us through it. Even these uh, more tricky passages in the Bible that we, uh, we struggle with or that we want to avoid sometimes, uh, I do pray that you'll give us wisdom on understanding and your spirit will convict us as usual each week um, that, your, that your word will um, sink deep into our hearts, moving our hearts to want to live for you and not live for ourselves. And I do pray, Lord, now today as we uh, see uh, how you're at work in the life of Daniel, uh, back you know, thousands of years ago, you'll help us to see how you're still at work in our lives today. So we do pray for that now. In your son's name, amen. Uh, who, who here uh, likes horror movies? Anyone? There's not many. There's like two or three people that like horror movies. Uh, and what's your favorite horror movie? Can't think of one on the spot. I like horror movies, okay? I grew up watching horror movies. Uh, I'm surprised not you guys like horror movies. <laughs> I love horror movies. I have this, uh, there's this thing about me, right, that just likes to be scared. Uh, I like the adrenaline that comes from horror movies. Uh, and I know uh, horror movies are a very modern innovation, you know, especially with film and all that. But horror stories, they've been told from generation to generation, haven't they? When I was young, my mum would tell us ghost stories. I don't know why she did that, but she told me ghost stories about growing up uh, in rural Taiwan, about being followed, going home by things that probably weren't there, all those sort of scary stories. Uh, but there is this thing in every culture, in every generation, there's an obsession with horror, isn't there? There's an obsession really with monsters. Monsters uh, to, to uh, scare children or to tell children how to uh, you know, stay in line. Uh, what's been really interesting though, the social studies have been uh, identified this, the studies into this have identified that when humans are facing certain fears in the world, the storytellers, particularly in film, in movies, will find a way to put a face to that monster put a face of a monster to that fear, sorry. A prime example of this, right, is during the 80s and 90s. Uh, what was going on in the world? Uh, the AIDS epidemic was growing. There was a lot about AIDS and that was a really bad time for, for the world, for society. And what happened, what coincided with that in the film industry, in the horror genre, were movies about Dracula, movies about vampires. That came up around the same time in the 80s and 90s. Coincidental, maybe, but it's an interesting theory, isn't it? Consider the last 20 years, there are so many uh, zombie flicks that have come out. Every movie I watch, every TV show, there's just zombies all the time, the living dead. 
Think about that. Why? Consider our context. We live in a world where warfare isn't guns and cannons, not sword and arrows. It's biological now, right? Zombie stories are being told because there's a genuine fear that, that some vaccine or some disease that's manufactured in a lab will cause us to turn into the living dead. The monster genre, it puts a face to the fear. Whether it's Frankenstein, Mike Wazowski, or the Mind Flayer from Stranger Things, you know, we, we allow our imagination and the stories on the screen to paint for us, right? To paint for us the picture of what the world potentially could look like in light of the horror we see in the real world around us. You following with me? You see, I appreciate horror movies because um, not only do I like the adrenaline, I also like to have closure when the movie ends. I like to have closure knowing that the monsters do get defeated, to know that evil doesn't get the last say. And don't we all want that in this world? Don't we all want our fears to be stilled? Don't we all want to know that there's hope in a world of fear? We all hope that evil will be defeated and good will triumph, especially with the monsters in our lives. It doesn't take long for you to look on the internet, right? But our world is really marked by fear. And there are those crazy conspiracy theories out there about 5G and COVID vaccines and the mark of the beast. But these monsters, right? It's not that I'm talking about. It's, I'm talking about the everyday fears that we face. The monsters aren't often under the bed. The monsters are in our head. Our, our personal demons that we have to face, the fear of conflict, the fear of loneliness, the fear of losing loved ones, the fear of not accomplishing our dreams and ambitions, the fear of sickness and health, the fear of losing our freedoms fear of losing our money in investments, the fear of simply having to face another day when anxiety overwhelms your heart. The monsters aren't always going to look like Voldemort or Slenderman. It might look like the everyday fears we have to face. How will we face the fears, the monsters of this world with hope and confidence? See, this section of Daniel shows us this vision he sees of monsters that reign over the world. And for his case, these monsters will look like kingdoms and empires that oppose and persecute God's people. A real fear that exists for Christians even to this day. Now, here's the thing I need to tell you before we get into chapter 7. And we're going to look into chapter 8 as well today. What happens in Daniel is this, this genre of writing changes, doesn't it? You've got chapter 1 to 6, which we've already looked at. Uh, you can get online and listen to our talks if you have, have been away. Uh, it's written as a historical narrative. Daniel's telling the story of what life was like living in Babylon, all these stories that happened to him. But from chapter 7 to the end, it changes to what we call apocalyptic literature. That's the genre now. So instead of historical narrative, it's apocalyptic literature. It just changes genre halfway through the book. Now, what, that, what does apocalyptic literature? It's prophetic. It's pro prophecy about the future, but more specifically about end times using symbols to, 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 to depict what that might look like. Now, if you're new with us or new to Christianity and this whole stuff, this Bible reading that Georgie read for us sounded whack, well, don't worry. We feel the same way. It sounds whack to us too, right? But let's figure it out together and figure out what it means for us today. We're told from the outset of chapter 7, Daniel has a dream, a vision. Now, we're told this time Daniel, he doesn't know the interpreter. He's going to ask an angel about an interpretation for us. We're also told this is happening when? During the time of Belshazzar's reign over Babylon, right? He was the last king of Babylon before Persia took over. So in chapter 6, do you remember what happened? Daniel was under the rule of Persia at that stage. But now we're rewinding back to when he was living under Babylon, right? He's telling us a dream, a vision, uh, uh, it's the record of this vision that he had back when Belshazzar was in control, reigning over um, Israel at this time, Babylon rule. 
Right, so chapter seven sort of presses rewind a bit. And this is what he sees, his vision. Let's read it again from verse four. I might have it on the screen if you want to follow along there as well. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and had 10 horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The, the horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. I, I got my second COVID vaccine yesterday, and I was thinking, when am I going to grow feathers out of my back or grow another head? But it hasn't happened yet. But this is what, yeah, this is what people imagine, you know, things like this, the fears that we have. It sounds hectic, right? But remember in chapter 2 what happened. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, the king of Babylon. He had a dream of a statue with four different medals. Do you remember that? The first medal was gold, then silver, then bronze, and then iron. And then a big rock struck the statue and toppled it all. Now, we were told back then, and, in, and from the sermon as well, that Babylon was the gold part of the statue, the, the part of the precious metal that, represented, uh, that, that was represented by gold. And afterwards, each, got, each precious metal was represented by kingdoms that were going to come after, right? Uh, and we know in history, the kingdoms that came after Babylon were Persia, Greece, then Rome. If you remember that talk as well, I said the rock that's going to come is going to be Jesus, the kingdom of God, which is going to fill the whole earth. That's what we saw in chapter 2. Now here we're in chapter 7. Daniel's got a vision. Instead of four types of metals, what do we see? We see four beasts, don't we? Four beasts that rise up. Four monsters that represent kings that will rise up, kingdoms that will rise up. And we can have some confidence, right, that these monsters in Daniel's vision are the same kingdoms we heard about in chapter 2. Look, the first, the first one, a lion with wings of an eagle, lifted to stand on two feet with the mind of a human. Do you remember what happened in chapter 4 of this book in Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar, he was turned into a beast with feathers. And then Nebuchadnezzar was raised back, like, uh, raised back to be a human again, back on his two feet again. He was restored to being a man. It sounds a lot like this beast here, doesn't it? The vision has a, uh, is echoing what happened in chapter 4, a real-life story that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. The next one, this is interesting, it was like a bear. But on one side of it, it was, it was, one side was bigger than his other, right? So I'm imagining a bear where you know, just, he's doing bicep curls on the right side more than the left, right? He's big on one side. He's like um, Roger Federer. He's got a you know, big right arm. He's bigger than his left arm. But not only that, he's not only lopsided, he's got ribs coming out of his mouth, right? Between his teeth. That sounds like a monster to me. You know? Would you rather be lopsided or have ribs coming out of your mouth? I'm not sure. It sounds freaky. But this is a description of the great kingdom after Babylon. Who's that? It's Persia. But not only Persia, it's Persia and Media, isn't it? The Persians and the Medes come after Babylon. And we all know Persia is the greater empire, and Medes is the smaller one. But they come and they take over Babylon, right? So there's this bear that's lopsided. One side is bigger than the other because that's Persia and Media. Interesting, isn't it? Now let's keep going. The, uh, I think the, uh, we keep going. The, the next one is a four-winged, four-headed leopard looking like creature, right? 
And if we think about what happened with Greece, we think of it, it's like a leopard swiftly conquering the Persian Empire. From the Mediterranean to the north of India, the great uh, Alexander the Great, who ruled over Greece uh, when they took over the Persian Empire, uh, he, was, he came swiftly like a leopard, like wings, with wings like a leopard as well, wing, wings on a leopard. <laughs> It's crazy because if you actually look into history, I had to go into history.com for this, uh, he went up against Persia with only 50,000 men against the 250,000 Persian army. Four heads and four wings though, what's that got to do with anything? Well, after you see, when you see the Greek empire fall, collapse, and when Alexander the Great died, he only died at the age of 32, he accomplished all this by the time he was 30, Greece was split into four kingdoms, four colonies, under four generals after Alexander. Uh, Antigonus, Cassander, Ptolemy, and Seleucus, that's the name of those generals. Interesting, isn't it? Four wings, four heads, four generals. Coincidental? I don't know. I mean, it sounds like this pro prophecy came true. It came to be. It should give you chills. It should give you, it should, those chills should be multiplying. The next monster we see is a terrifying beast with ten horns, right? Ten horns and iron teeth that crushes everything in its path. Again, we go back to chapter 2, the same vision, right, of the statue. The last kingdom that we saw was the kingdom of iron. Daniel sees his teeth. The teeth are made out of iron. It crushes everything in its past. What was the greatest and largest empire that came after all this? It was the Roman Empire. And so this reference to ten horns tells us this. Horns are a symbol. Again, we've got to read into the symbols, the symbols of power. You think about animals in the world that have horns, rhinos, buffalo, Rams, they all have horns, and they use bulls to attack people, or to attack each other, right? Not just people, attack each other. But why ten? Now, there's another thing there. There's ten horns. And we've got to look again into the whole symbolic thing about the Bible and numbers and all that, and the patterns we see when this number ten comes up. When does ten come up in the Bible? There's the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments of the law. There are the, uh, the ten plagues in Egypt that God... God brings upon Egypt, why isn't it nine? Why isn't it 11? It's 10. And so you, you don't want to read too much into this stuff, right? Into this whole symbolic stuff. But 10 usually is a reference to things being complete, like a complete season, a complete time, a complete, complete number. That's what it is. It's whole, right? So you've got uh, 10 horns, which is sort of symbolizing this idea that uh, this power, this kingdom, there'll be completeness of all these kingdoms will come and rule and have power in the world. Now, I'm giving you an interpretation that I think is most accurate because after the time of Daniel, after his time, like he's there in, what, the 500 BCs, uh, we see the empires of Persia, Greece, and Rome. They rise up after Babylon, don't they? Daniel's living in the time of Babylon, but these, these empires haven't come yet until uh, he, he's there when Persia's there. But these kingdoms come, and then Jesus shows up on the scene. I think there's a lot of accuracy to that view as we look through this uh, apocalyptic literature. You can get on Google, though, and I wouldn't recommend it because there's so much wacky stuff out there. If you, if you type in what this means, people will say that these beasts are represented by America and North Korea and China, whatever other interpretation they come up with. It's ridiculous. You have to be careful with this conspiracy theory stuff, right? Because you never hear, why isn't Australia one of these beasts? Come on, are we not, not beastly enough? I mean, are we just gentle little bunny rabbits? Come on, right? There's a, <laughs> that's why I think it's ridiculous because... Now, why am I for this view? I think there's another thing that we can look at that coincides with chapter 7. It's looking at chapter 8 as well. 
I'm not going to read the whole chapter to us. Uh, we're going to make references to us, so flip over the page if you do have your Bibles to chapter 8. What's happening in this chapter is that he has another vision three years later. He sees a vision in his dream, uh, a ram with two horns, one large one and one small one, right? So the ram is lopsided, right? One side is bigger than the other. That tramples everything in its path. But then you've got a goat that comes up onto the scene. And the goat clashes with the ram, defeats the ram with just one horn. The goat only has one horn, which sounds weird, right? Um, but then that has four horns that grow in its place, right? It's a wild vision, just like chapter 7. We have the angel Gabriel showing up in chapter 8, though. He comes up and he shows, and he tells him what this dream means. He interprets it for him. And he says this specifically in verse 20, chapter 8, I've got it on the screen. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. So you got a bit of confirmation there in chapter 8, don't you, that the kingdoms that the beasts represent in chapter 7 are these kingdoms, Media, Persia, and then Greece. At least we've got that much figured out. And we know in history that Rome comes afterwards. He has this vision, doesn't he? Uh, and I really believe that chapter 8 helps us to confirm that because what happens to Greece, we do know that it splits into four kingdoms as four generals that we know in history. But interestingly, what happens? The angel tells Daniel, this is in chapter 8, we're still there in chapter 8, he tells them about the, the horrors that are going to come through Greece and the terrifying things from verse 23, straight after this. It says, In the latter part of their reign, Greece's reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He'll cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He'll destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He'll cause deceit to prosper, and he'll consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he'll destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Now, this is crazy. Because you look into history again, and out of Greece came a rule called Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, right? Uh, there's, I don't know, I got some random picture off Wikipedia. Antiochus, right? He oppressed the people. Uh, I don't know if it's there. He sat with, uh, he sat with in the holiest and holies of the palace, and um, he would uh, eat kosher foods like pork in the middle of the temple, which was an affront against God. Uh, within three days, he killed 80,000 Jews, women and children included. He was an evil ruler, a dictator, and a, just tyrant. And most biblical scholars say this chapter 8 is about this Antiochus, Epiphanes. It happened. He, he didn't die to human hands too. He died from a virus in his bowels, which what a way to go out, right? This, this prophecy, has we've seen it being fulfilled. We've seen uh, these empires rise up and all these um, visions given to Daniel, they, they were fulfilled in these people. Now remember, let's go back to chapter 7, verse 8. What does it say? Chapter 7, verse 8 says, There was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn, this horn had eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that spoke boastfully. This could be a reference to Antiochus, Epiphanes, but it's probably not. I think it's a small, this small arrogant horn represents people who will come in the future who oppose God and oppress God's people, leading people away from Christ and from God. If you go into the New Testament, you'll hear the term antichrist. You, you, know, you guys have heard the term antichrist before, haven't you? The idea of being the antichrist is really a, a New Testament word that's about being anti-God and anti-Jesus, essentially. Seen in people in the world who have power and use that power to take people away from God. It comes up in Revelation. All this, this apocalyptic literature and revelation in your Bibles talks about the Antichrist as well, these beasts. 
We don't know who for sure is the Antichrist, though, and I don't think we should speculate. You can say the Antichrist has come throughout history, though. It was in the spirit of Antiochus. It was in the spirit of, of the Hitler and the Pol Pots in, in history who saw human life as disposable. Uh, back in the 1600s, the Protestant church, you know, they believed that the Pope was the Antichrist, for real, because he led people away from Jesus in corruption, filled his pockets with money. The Pope was the Antichrist. That's what people believed for hundreds of years. You go on the internet, again, trusty Google, and you'll see YouTube videos about who the Antichrist is. Who do you think the Antichrist is in today's world? You know, well, uh, in the last maybe 20 years, a lot of people thought Oprah was the Antichrist. <laughs> Might be true. Let's not speculate too much, right? But we should be aware there is a spiritual war happening in the world. And the spirit, at least, of the Antichrist is at play. Leading people away from God, oppressing God's people, it's happening. And so this, this mention of this little horn that's going to rise up, that's going to look like a human, speaking boastfully against God, I think that exists, but I think it exists in all of history because it's always at play. The spirit of the Antichrist is at play. You see, we have to read this apocalyptic literature again with carefulness. The symbolism in numbers and timing, it says a time and time and, and a half of times. You know, all this time, it's a mystery to us when this will all pass. But it will pass one day. It speaks, yes, into the, into the near future for Daniel. After Daniel's time, there will be Persia and then Greece and then Rome. Yes, it speaks to Daniel's future. It was fulfilled in those empires, but I think it also speaks into our future as well. As we look into the Bible, there's this idea of this now and not yet. Now it's happening, but it's also not yet. It's going to happen later as well. For us, there'll still be kings and leaders and influences in our world from generation to generation that will rise up and speak boastfully against God, who will oppress God's people. It's not over yet. There's still more to come. And it really allows the Bible, doesn't it, to be read across all time in every culture, doesn't it? So bringing it all together, what does God want Daniel and the reader, you and I, what does he want us to see? These monsters with horns and heads and wings, these beasts that oppress God's people and trample upon the world, these kingdoms that will come into power and oppress God's people, these, these, these are uh, very real fears, right, that grip the hearts of God's people who live during this generation. Daniel is, is given these visions to see that their time will only be for a season. The monsters, evil, it will be defeated. There will be an end, and the end gives hope. Let's read from verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. See that number 10 is there again. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language <coughs> worshipped him. <coughs> his, dominion <is> an <coughs> his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. God has given this title, the Ancient of Days. He is the king who sits on the throne, but a throne that has always been established since before creation that will last into eternity. 
right? This title, the Ancient of Days, it alludes to his timelessness, his infinite power, his majesty, his sovereign power over all ages. These monsters, these empires, they're just specks of dust before him, whose empires reign from ever, you know, his empire will reign from everlasting to everlasting. Before him, these beasts, they'll be slain, destroyed to be no more. There'll be a day where fear will not reign. And the one who will bring that peace to our hearts will be the one who is like a son of man, coming on the clouds of heaven, who came before, who can come before the ancient of days and be seated at his right hand, the right hand of God, with authority and glory and power so that all nations will worship him. Now, when it says one like a son of man, really, that just means a human, a human being. A human will be given that position, position. But really, it's not just any human, is it? A human that will come on clouds, worshipped by every people, and have a kingdom that lasts forever. It's going to be a divine human, a God human. When Jesus came into the scene, what was the title he referred to himself as? We all know him as Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But Jesus actually refers to himself as what? The Son of Man, doesn't he? I've got some passages on the screen for you, but... Chapter uh, 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But that you know, Luke chapter 5, but that you, know, may, that, you know, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. I think this last one is really important. He was arrested, and before his death, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. That's a direct reference, isn't it, to Daniel chapter 7. Son of Man will come on the clouds. Every time he uses this term, when Jesus uses this term in the New Testament, He's referring to himself, but he's echoing what the words of Daniel chapter 7, isn't he? He's pointing us back to this moment in history where Daniel had a vision. Daniel, who lived like at least 500 years before Jesus came into the world, Jesus is saying he's the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jesus is the son of man who restores and rescues humanity, who, who, who rescues them from the, the clutches of the monsters out there, but also the monsters inside of our heads, the fears of our hearts. And not just the fears, but the sin of my heart that makes me a monster to others. We all act a little bit beastly sometimes, don't we? But in Jesus, the, the Son of Man, our humanity before God is restored. We are given the Holy Spirit, which renews us day by day. And one day we get to be in the presence of the Ancient of Days. We too will be dressed in white, where all our sins will be removed, will be made clean, because the Son of Man himself gave himself up for us. You see, the Son of Man doesn't come with four horns or four heads like a ram or a goat, but he comes as a lamb to be slain. The monsters of sin, of fear, are defeated at the cross of Jesus where, we, where he sacrificed his life for you and for me. And yes, we might still have to face our fears in this world. But as we face the fears and the monsters in this life, whether it's internal or external rulers and dictators that persecute Christians, we can still have hope, can't we? Because the Ancient of Days is sitting upon his throne. Because we know the Son of Man has risen from the grave and defeated the monsters of death and sin sits at his, and sits at right, the right hand of, of God, ruling and reigning. Jesus is king. 
And we can have rest, have peace, have confidence to face another day knowing that the King has rescued our very life by giving up his very own on the cross. So with all that in mind, what does that leave us with? Yes, chapter 7 sounds a bit wacky, but it's actually in this very chapter that all of Daniel revolves around. The people are in exile. There's a foreign oppressive king on the throne. The future looks bleak. What does God have planned for his world and his people? Where can hope be found? How can we stand firm? All these narratives from chapter 1 to 6, all those stories about Daniel and the visions that are going to come after this, it all revolves around this key verse, I think, verse 14. The Son of Man, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We need to keep hearing that, don't we? The people of God need to keep hearing this verse that tells them that God is in control. That's what God's first, the people, the first readers of Daniel had to hear back then. It's what every generation since then has had to hear. You know, when we feel lost, when we feel miserable, when we're in fear of the Persian, Greek, or Roman rulers, they needed to hear the words of this vision given to Daniel. And for us here today in 2021, we too need to hear these words. And remember, God is in control. Our fears and the monsters won't have the last say. Man, don't you need to hear that? Don't, don't you, I need to hear that. I understand that some, some, some fear the government and we fear the, uh, the, 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 the rule that they have, that they make decisions for our country. We fear that. Last week, we spoke about what it looked like to stand firm in a world that feels like the lion's den. Do you remember that? Uh, to, to face hardship with not just courage, but consistency. Our consistency will lead us to stand firm in the lion's den. Do you remember that? We talked about it last week because the reality is Australia is moving towards a place where there will be times where you'll have to stand firm for your faith, where it will be hard to be a Christian in our country. In Victoria, there's a law being passed. It's going to come into action in February. It's called the Change or Suppression uh, Practices Prohibition Act. Right? The Change or Suppression Practices Prohibition Act. The bill was already adopted. It's coming into effect next February. There's a forum this last week with government officials, representatives, lawyers to, to answer questions from churches about what that might mean in Victoria. Some of the questions that were asked was, if a person asked, you for, asked me as a pastor, asked me for assistance on how to live according to Christian beliefs, and we advise them to refrain from sexual relations outside of heterosexual marriage, I'm acting unlawful if I do that. If someone approaches me and asks me questions about their, uh, their sexual identity and what the Bible says about that, and I give them the answer from the Bible, I am acting unlawfully. The government is, at this point in time, in Victoria at least, telling Christians, the church, what you can and cannot do. Even though our authority isn't the God, it's the Bible. The one we have allegiance to is God, not, the, not, not our prime minister, not the, not the law of the land. Our laws are from God. We need to figure out how do we navigate the waters in today's world, in our secular society. And I'm sure this law had good intentions when it was made, but it's overreaching, isn't it? It's dictating what the church can or cannot say when it comes to our faith. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? We thought this would be happening in 20, 30, 50 years, but it's happening today. There are real fears out there for God's people living in even Australia. I'm not talking about North Korea. I'm not talking about China where you can get arrested for being a Christian. This is our country, the West. 
But I know the majority of us, we're not worried about that. Our fears are more internal. We want to build our kingdoms of success and financial freedom, and our fear is that we'll get sick one day and we can't do that. We won't have the opportunity that we really want. We'll lose money in our investments, that our dreams and ambitions won't be realized. They're our fears. Our fears that control us day by day. And, and, and we know that because you can t- just tell by what you do each day. What are you consumed by? You know, if you're, if you're watching the stock market and the currencies go up and down every day, just all day, where are your fears? Each day we'll scroll through Instagram wondering if we'll ever have that sort of relationship, that sort of friendship, that sort of lifestyle. And we get paralyzed in fear, don't we? Because we think that'll never be me in this life. We get paralyzed in fear because we're afraid of sickness or death might come first. We're paralyzed thinking, I don't want to be alone in old age. We're worried that someone will discover that we're imposters. This identity and kingdom we've carved out for ourselves is fake and built on shaky ground. What is the monster that your heart fears? What is the beast that terrorizes you day by day? Take comfort in Christ. God is in control. Through the most unexpected of ways, he defeats the monsters, not by a sword, but through his own death. It's actually through weakness we see God flex his might and power. We can't let those fears, external or internal, rule or have control over our hearts. It's foolish to give them power when they're nothing but faceless beasts. Look to the one who truly is in control, who is the king on the throne. But secondly, see that his kingdom is eternal as well. The kings that rule over us, the idols of our heart, they only exist temporarily. We might not see the kingdoms toppling in our lifetime, but we can trust that there is a kingdom that reigns forever. We have a a confidence and peace because that eternal home has been secured for us in Jesus. So yes, in this life, you might have to keep facing your fears. You'll be fine times where you feel helpless, stuck. But you can look forward, can't you? To the eternal kingdom, the heavenly home that Jesus has promised us. We live knowing there'll be an eternal, eternal dominion where we get to worship Jesus. Where we'll be in the presence of love and joy and peace. Where there'll be no more hurt. No more tears, no more monsters, no more fears to conquer. Just peace in the presence of the Ancient of Days. See that his kingdom is eternal. But thirdly, how will we live today in light of that kingdom that reigns? If we know this truth that the Son of Man has come and has given us the keys to our future heavenly home, who will you spend this life serving? What or who will reign over your heart? You've been liberated from the clutches of the monsters that enslave us. You don't have to feel ugly, insecure, lonely, unsatisfied, discontent. You don't have to keep chasing after more because you've been given everything you need. True, the worst case scenario is you might get thrown into prison for being a Christian. It might mean that you don't get to realize your dreams and ambitions that you planned in this life. It does sound scary. But will you and I still make a resolve today that Jesus is worth living for? that he has your heart, your allegiance, even in the face of the monsters that our hearts fear. What does it truly mean for you that you give your life to Jesus, your entire life, your heart's desires and plans? What does it mean to give and surrender everything to Jesus if he truly is the king on the throne for eternity? You see, the world is going to get worse before it gets better. The monsters will keep coming. You don't have to live in fear. You can have peace and security when you entrust and submit in your life. You're everything before the king, before the Ancient of Days. 
I do like horror movies. I like horror flicks, but it bothers me when I don't get closure at the end of them. <laughs> when the monster or the evil isn't defeated and the movie just ends on that, you know, to be continued and you're just staring at the screen and you're like, are you serious? Is that it? Did I just spend two hours watching a movie about something that doesn't have any closure? You just want to scream, don't you? It irks me. It would make anyone feel uncomfortable when you don't know for certain if the good guys win or if terror still reigns. We all want peace. We all want to be comforted. Well, in the real world, God shows us that victory is already secured. We know how the story ends. At the cross, we see the worst of our nightmares conquered. We don't have to live in fear, but in Christ, in the Son of Man, we can have confidence. We can trust that eternity and peace has been secured for us. We can have hope. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you knowing that there are uh, so many fears that we have to face each day, so many monsters and beasts that seem so overwhelming in our lives. Lord, you remind us through, through Daniel that you're the God who is in control, that none of these beasts, these monsters have any real control, that their kingdoms are just temporary. But you are eternal. Help us to keep trusting that truth that we have a God who sits on the throne over the universe that was there from creation and is there from everlasting to everlasting. Help us to see that the Son of Man came on the clouds of heaven, but he came, Lord, to die on a cross for us, to be raised again on the third day so that we could have life, so that the monsters of sin and death could be conquered. Help us to believe that truth, to trust that truth, and to give our heart and our lives in allegiance to the one who deserves it, who is worthy of our worship. Help us to worship Jesus, Lord, as our King over our lives. And do pray that, Lord, for us. And do pray that as we face each day, as we face a world that keeps changing and the monsters in our own, in our own heads as well, in our own hearts, I pray that you'll help us to, to come before them with confidence and hope, knowing you're the God who is in control. And we pray for this uh, in your Son's name. Amen. <laughs>